Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So you might know this, but 2023 is our year with Jesus here. We are focusing solely, only on the life and the teachings of Jesus in the hopes that as we spend time with Jesus, we can learn about Jesus and hopefully maybe in some ways become a little bit more like Jesus. We can embody this way of being in the world. And in this Easter season, the, the, the season celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we're looking at how we can learn from the resurrected Jesus. Right? What, what does the resurrected Jesus teach? And how does the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus act and behave and live in the world? How, how do we follow this Jesus? And, and last week we looked at the Great Commission. This is a, uh, a really well-known text that that Jesus gives to his disciples as the resurrected Jesus, as someone who's been raised from the dead. And um, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And last week we were honest about this text, that it's a passage that has been used to manipulate and coerce and and, um, colonize. And together we reimagined a more loving and expansive understanding of this text, that, that maybe Jesus wasn't commanding us to go and convert as many people as possible. Maybe Jesus was inviting us to create with him a fully inclusive community of learners, accepting their own acceptance and loving one another. That is an idea that I'm into, uh, that I am for, um, and, and that I'm excited about. And uh, this week we're continuing these kind of post-resurrection stories in the scriptures Uh, in John chapter 21. This is another maybe familiar story to you. Uh, At the beginning of John 21, we have the disciples fishing. fishing. They're out on a boat together, and uh, they're there overnight, and they catch nothing. And uh, then the resurrected Jesus shows up on the shore and calls out to them from the shore and tells them to put their net on the other side of the boat. The disciples, they can't recognize Jesus. It says they're a few hundred yards away. It's a long way away. They don't recognize Jesus, but um, maybe through some hand motions or something, they, they take the tip. They say, okay, this guy says switch the net. Let's do it. Let's give it a shot. We haven't, we haven't caught anything otherwise. They switch the net to the other side of the boat, and they catch so many fish that the net starts to break. And after hauling in all the fish, kind of realize, wow, we, we just caught a ton of fish, Peter realizes that it's Jesus standing on the shore. And Peter throws off his clothes, and he swims that few hundred yards back to shore to find Jesus. And then he and Jesus engage in a sort of uh, campfire beach picnic, and they have this famous conversation, this interaction in John 21. It starts in verse 15, so we're going to read it together and look at it. And this is what it says. When they, Jesus and Peter, had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Uh, interesting passage, maybe a little bit confusing. Um, and it's easy to kind of see this passage as almost an, a kind of interrogation of Peter, right? Just asking the same question over and over again. It, it might seem kind of combative on the surface. And um, there are definitely some theories as to why Jesus would ask this particular question three times of Peter. And um, right on the surface, it seems maybe combative, maybe kind of an interrogation, uh, maybe a little rude, and then uh, maybe a little emotionally needy. Like if you ask this, if you ask someone you knew, do you love me? And they said, yeah. And you said, but do you love me? Like that would just, it's a needy thing uh, to do right on the surface, you know. But most of the theories around why Jesus would ask Peter, do you love me three times, are connected to Jesus's denials of Peter just a, a couple chapters earlier in the gospel. So just a little earlier in the narrative when Jesus is on trial and he's been crucified as a criminal, um, Peter denies any association with Jesus three different times, which makes sense. You know, Jesus is now a known criminal. He's been uh, charged, convicted, and sentenced to death. And some people are saying, hey, Peter, don't you go with this guy? And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not connected to him. He denies him three times. And so um, a lot of folks think that Jesus is asking this question three times, do you love me, as a way to sort of uh, absolve Peter of his uh, bad behavior. And I think that uh, could be true. And I think if nothing else, it, it it is kind of a narrative. It's a part of the narrative. I think that's why John includes it um, in this way, asking uh, in this way, because it, it does kind of tie up that story in a nice narrative way. I think I think it provides some narrative structure. I think that's nice. I, I don't think that's wrong. But I do want to propose another reason that Jesus is maybe repeating this question over and over again. And I think we can just rule out Jesus being rude and emotionally needy. We'll just take those off the table. And like in any story, if we want to know what's happening, uh, we should first consider the characters, right? Who are the people? What's the context, right? So uh, the two characters here are Jesus and Peter. And we know from the Gospels a lot about these two characters, right? We know Jesus isn't an interrogator of his disciples. Uh, He's not an instigator. Uh, Jesus isn't trying to rile Peter up in such a way that he could argue with them and then make him break. But he's not trying to draw the truth out of him. Right? That's what Peter is saying to Jesus. Don't you know all things? Why, why, are, you, why are you asking me these questions? Right? Jesus shows himself in the Gospels to be a gentle and caring teacher to his disciples. Right? Jesus is gentle and caring. Right? Not an interrogator, not an instigator. He's not trying to poke at Peter until he breaks. Jesus is gentle and caring. We also get a pretty good picture of who Peter is. You know, Peter is hot-headed in the Gospels. He's quick to speak and even quicker to act most of the time. Even just in John chapter 21, in this chapter, Peter sees Jesus a few hundred yards away on shore. It's where the boat is going. And Peter rips off his clothes and jumps in the water. And then, because his friends are going to need help with the fish, he realizes when he gets to shore, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And so, He has to swim back a little bit and help his friends get back. It's like an immediate, like, oops, shouldn't have done that. But he's just, he's impulsive and he's hot-headed. Or when when the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, Peter draws a sword and he cuts off one of their ears. It's just like, wait, what what just happened here? He's just quick to respond. He's quick uh, to speak. He says some pretty uh, 
odd things to Jesus. You, you get in the Gospels all these interactions between Peter and Jesus. I think because Peter is the one who's speaking up and speaking out of turn. It's so much that at one point Jesus says, you need, he says, get behind me, Satan. He, he calls Peter Satan for the way that he's speaking. And uh, Peter, you know, his name's Simon. That's the name that was given to him by his family. And so here we get Simon Peter is how John refers to him. Jesus gives Peter, uh, gives Simon the name Peter, this kind of nickname. And uh, Peter is a word uh, that means rock, right? It's from Petra, right? It says, you're a rock. And um, Jesus even says to him, on this rock, I will build my church. And it's been, you know, kind of speculated, theorized that, that that's a compliment, right? You're uh, called a rock uh, because of your fortitude or your dependability or your faithfulness. But um, in most contexts, for most people, if you get called a rock, it would be an indictment on your intelligence or your attitude, like you are as dumb as a. And so Peter isn't thought to be like the, he's not absorbing all the information. It's just like, right, he just lives on the surface. He's very impulsive, very hot-headed, quick to act, quick to speak, and it shows in the Gospels. He's likely, you know, early 20s, maybe 21. He's 21, very impulsive. And those are our characters, right? a gentle and caring teacher in Jesus, and then an impulsive, quick-to-act, quick-to-speak, 21-year-old-ish Peter. And so I want to suggest to you today that Jesus' motives here, as he asks Peter, do you love me? He asks him three times. As he asks three times, his motives are not about trying to get Peter to absolve himself. I think he's already forgiven but rather, I think Jesus is presenting an opportunity for Peter to slow down long enough to actually say what he actually means. Jesus isn't being passive-aggressive. It's not a loyalty test. Jesus is giving impulsive Peter a chance to slow down, to be present, and to be honest. Think of it like this. If you have a trusted friend, someone who really knows you, someone who really cares about you. You know they care about you. You have been through some stuff together. And you run into this friend and they ask you, hey, how are you doing? And you say, like everyone says, oh, I'm fine. How are you? And they say, no. How are you doing? And you give the next answer that everyone gives. You say, oh, I, you know, I'm pretty busy, but I'm good. And they say again, looking you in the eyes, no, but how are you doing? They're not interrogating you, and they're not being aggressive. They're not poking at you until you break. They want you to slow down, to be present, and to be honest. And I think that's what's happening here with Peter and Jesus, that Jesus is offering a caring invitation to slow down. It's a caring invitation to slow down. And today, wherever you are, the same invitation is being offered to you. Slow down, show up, and be honest. For the, the speed in which we move through the world is likely ruining our ability to really be present, to really show up, and then to actually be honest. Right? I think for a lot of us, we have decided that a deep breath, a moment of eye contact, 
some real vulnerability. But the time it takes to do that, for that deep breath, for that eye contact, for that vulnerability, that that time is kind of an inconvenience, that it's a hassle. And I think also we assume that that's what other people think. Or we assume because of our you know, insecurity or our codependency that if we do that, if we take our time, if someone asks us how we're doing and we take a deep breath and we look them in the eye, we offer an honest, vulnerable answer, we think, oh, well, we don't want to hassle them. That's not what they were looking for. We don't want to inconvenience them. Right? We value speed and efficiency over connection and presence and sometimes even over honesty. You know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm sure you know of him or maybe have read some of his words. He, he's researched dozens of social science ideas about how we behave in the world and about our human assumptions. And he summarized a lot of his work by saying this. Things aren't usually what they seem. You'll probably have to wait for a while to figure out the truth of what they actually are. The longer you wait, the better. Because your first impression is usually false. If you're not willing to slow down, then you'll have to be rigorous in your willingness to change your mind. You'll have to be constantly and aggressively changing your mind. It's one of my favorite phrases. Constantly and aggressively changing your mind. Right? Peter is the character in the Gospels who is not willing to wait. He's not willing to slow down. Not, not, not willing to offer some patience because he acknowledges that what his, he's first viewing, that his first impression of the world is probably wrong. And so Jesus is working as a caring and gentle teacher to help him take a little bit of a pause. And this is our invitation today, acknowledging that we are moving too quickly through the world and that the way we see things are probably wrong that things aren't what they seem, and that waiting longer is almost always better. And so our invitation is to slow down long enough to actually be honest. For you, do you feel like you are like Peter? I, I do. Do you feel like you're like Peter? Right? Do, do you move through the world with a lot of fast reactions? Like, how high on your list is speed and efficiency on your priority list? Are those at the top? Or just get through it as fast as possible. Like, like maybe you could just be honest and, and reflect on whether you value your time and efficiency more than you value connection and honesty. Do you value your time and efficiency more than you value connection and honesty? And listen, I'm not trying to accuse you of being intentionally dishonest. I just wonder if you are moving so fast through the world with so much busyness and distraction that you don't even know how you're doing. You don't even know who you are anymore. That you don't have a good read, even if you think you do. That you're probably wrong about some stuff. I just wonder if you've chosen, intentionally or unintentionally, that you'd rather be fast than be right, and that you'd rather be fast than be true, rather be fast than be connected, 
It might be time to slow down, to get present, and to get honest. And I wonder if you have a caring person that helps you slow down, right? a gentle friend. And, and, and I, I wonder, you know, since we're here at church doing church thing, I wonder if your spirituality has helped you or hurt you in this ability to slow down and get honest. You know, if you read this text from John chapter 21, and the, and the way that you first imagine it to be is as Jesus testing Peter. That's how you imagine Jesus, to be one who tests us. Then you may keep moving fast so that you can get the right answer, so that you can obey just right and be the perfect Christian with the right answers. And so maybe today you just need to be reminded that your, your spirituality, the way you express your religion, it should lessen the need to perform and perfect. That your spirituality should lessen the need to perform and perfect. It should lessen your need for efficiency. Efficiency isn't the currency of the kingdom. It's connection and it's authenticity. Find a place or a people, or a practice to help you slow down. It's how you get to actually be honest and vulnerable. Right? Vulnerability never happens with speed, with pace. It's slow. And I wonder what could be a practice that you embody this week that could help you slow down and connect and be honest. Maybe just start by noticing your speed in the world. Just notice your quick reactions. No, notice what happens in your body when a plan or a schedule changes without your permission. When something gets out of whack in your day, what happens in your physical body? Notice. Just notice. Maybe that's a good way to start. And then if you can, carry with you some mantras, some phrases, some prayers. There's one I've tried over and over again. I'm hoping it sticks soon. It's just this uh, simple phrase. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. Notice how your body is feeling and then remind yourself, I'm not in a hurry. Even if uh, something is telling me I am, even if I'm telling me I am, even if I'm three minutes late to preschool pickup because a meeting went late, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. Zoom out a little bit. Take a wider picture and say, I'm not in a hurry. Or when someone asks you a question that you would typically answer with speed and reactivity, you could just try saying, I'm not sure. How are you doing? I'm not sure. What's your plan for the summer? I'm not sure. What are you believing about this? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and I'm not in a hurry. That's the work here. I'm not sure, and I'm not in a hurry. There's no loyalty test. In Matthew 21, Jesus is offering a caring invitation to slow down. And today, wherever you are, the same invitation is being presented to you. Slow down, be present, and finally and fully be honest. You know, if you, um, if you are married, then, uh, then you likely know that there are a few things that will really test a marriage and uh, towards the top of that list are uh, joint home improvement projects. And uh, because we really like challenge, Katie and I have done uh, a lot of, like, way too many of them. Uh, like, our, 
our truest personalities come out when the remodel begins. Uh, and if you're an Enneagram person, just for reference, I am a three on the Enneagram, and Katie, my wife, is a one on the Enneagram. And so when we've uh, tackled these big home improvement projects, uh, I like to ask questions like, um, so Katie, do you want me to do this where it looks good for like three years or uh, where it's fixed for five years or is this like a 10-year fix? And uh, she likes to respond and say things like, um, could you just do the right version of it, the right way where it's totally done? But I know I think I know that there's a version of doing it right where you probably won't be able to tell that I didn't follow the instructions perfectly. There's a, there's a version of right in my brain when I do these things. Because her priority, Katie, her priority is getting the project done in the right way. But often my priority is doing it as fast as possible. There are different priorities. And I've learned, thanks to Katie, that for home improvement projects and for our spirituality, there is no prize for finishing first. The faster I move, the more wrong I'll be. And I have tried quick fix spirituality. I've tried it. I've prayed the prayers I've Googled the verses to read when you feel anxious or angry. I've created a self-imposed sense of urgency around my beliefs and my religious practices, trying to perform the right way as fast as possible. I have tried and failed at quick fix spirituality. But gather, hear the good news today. Our God is a gentle and caring teacher. There is no loyalty test. There is no reward for moving fast or for being efficient. The goal, the point, the whole story that we are living in is about a God who wants to be with us, the real us. So you don't have to have all the answers. And if you want to do this right, if that's your goal, and I understand, if you want to do this right, then take a deep breath. Slow down, show up, and be as honest as you can. Gather, this is my prayer for us today. For just a moment, release yourself from all urgency, from the pressure to perform and perfect. God sets no deadlines. There is no test. Release and rest. Your true, honest self is enough. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.